Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning, wherever you're watching from, whether you're tuning in from your back porch in the glorious sunshine that we're having here on the West Coast, if you're roasting in Princeton because it'll be hotter there, or you're, you're across the globe, wherever you're watching from this morning, we want to just welcome you to our service this morning. What a great time of worship. Eliza, thank you for reminding us to set our perspective based on who God is, not what we're going through. Such a great, great reminder in, in the middle of it all. Just be watching your email if you're from the Surrey area area for uh, in the next week or so uh, we're going to be having uh, whether it's an outdoor or an indoor service we'll be having that so be watching for that you're going to need to register for that and pre-register for that so uh, looking for that and as well uh, continue to pray for what's going on in the Middle East it's obviously a very very uh, time of high tension there uh, between Israel and uh, Hamas and the Palestinian Authority so be praying that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on on earth as it is in heaven, all right? Well, how many of us ever get into a discussion, heated discussion, or an argument? If you're in the room, let me know that you do sometimes. Okay, yeah, you all do, that's it. But also, how many of you like to win that argument? Let me show, give me a thumbs up on the chat, Shanda, because I know that, you, oh, whoops, uh, no, give me a thumbs up or a hands up something to let me know that there's people like me on there because uh, when God put Shanda and I together, uh, two fairly intense people, people that have been known to have opinions about things, and uh, when we first got married, there were times, let me tell you, there were times that we disagreed, okay, a lot of the time. Uh, most of the time though about silly things but it quickly devolved into no longer what the issue was but we were determined to win it's good to have a winner's attitude we want to be those kind of people but there are times when we are so intent on winning that we would trample the person the other person not literally but just overwhelm them or give them the silent treatment not me. I never give the silent treatment. That was not me. I did other things. I would do things to poke and push and prod to try and get a reaction because I was going to be determined to win. And during those times, there would be little peace in the middle of it all. An argument that quickly dissolves or devolves into a personal thing or, or a winning thing that I'm determined to win. And I don't know if you've noticed, but on a much greater scale, the similar thing is happening in our world right now. It's, uh, I'm not old, but I'm getting older. I hit the big five old this year. But I have never in my 25 to 30 years in vocational ministry seen a more divisive time in, a, in culture. And for a lot of reasons that's happening, whether that's the advent of social media, whether that's uh, the internet, whether that's just a, a culture that is just out of control right now. But I don't know if you've noticed that, that... Uh, the goal has seemingly moved from discussion or trying to understand someone to not only winning, but annihilating them in, in the process. 
And I'm not talking about things that are clearly right and clearly wrong, at least not from my perspective. Discord and hatred, maskers versus no maskers, vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers or vax, people who are vaccine hesitant, fox watchers and not the fox like on the ground, fox news or CNN, woke people or not woke people, right versus left, issues of rapidly changing definitions around gender, quick to voice our opinions, Slow to, slow to think and answer. Name-calling, ridiculing. I don't know about you, but I've found it exhausting. I tell you, in the last year, I've got, without a doubt, more feedback in my email on various issues than I ever have in, the, in a decade before that combined. I've talked with some of you who are very reluctant to even say what you think about almost anything because you're afraid of the blowback or losing a friend. And I know some of you have, in fact, been, have lost friends in this climate. And in our church, I know that some of you are liberal and some of you are conservative. And I notice I didn't say right or wrong. One of the things we learned in our arguments, Shanda and I, that we could be both okay with the other person holding a different opinion. We called it different doesn't mean wrong. It just oftentimes means different. But in our culture today, I know that some of you think that COVID-related closures are health issues, while some of you are convinced that it's a rights issue or a control issue. We have in our church different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds, people who, some of you are refugees. Some of you have been here in Canada for generations. Some of you have, are brand new followers of Jesus. Some of you even came to know Jesus because we've been online. Some of you have been followers of Jesus for not just your lifetime, but generations. We have single people. We have widowed people. We have married people. We have divorced people. We have young people. We have old people. We have different uh, cultural backgrounds. We have different colors of people. And some of you might be on social assistance. Some of you are independently wealthy and never need to work a day again in your life. A beautifully diverse community. But at the same time, we have to be very attentive that in the cultural moment that we're in, that our diversity does not lead to division. Can we model, as people who are followers of Jesus, a different way in the middle of a world gone crazy? Or do we just go with the flow of what's happening on our feed our, our social media feed, or the people that we watch and believe the exact same things politically about? Is it possible to love someone who has an absolutely different political perspective than you? In the church, can we truly honor someone with a mindset that is different than ours? 
Because as Christ followers, we're meant to not take our cue from the world that's around us. And this, this series is coming out of probably five months I've been thinking about this and, and meditating on this. And so we're going to be moving into this for the next five or six weeks, this topic. And I'll tell, talk more about it in a moment. But as Christ followers, we go to take our cue from here. Not from what's going on around us. Not from what news station we are. Your faith should not sound the same as the news station you listen to. We are going to be looking at the New Testament book called Colossians. And we're going to primarily be landing in one chapter, chapter 3. And this this book that we now see in the Bible was originally just a letter written to a church in a city called Colossae in what is now Turkey. And Paul wrote it, Paul wrote it in about AD 62, not 1862, AD 62, and he wrote it from a prison. He had never visited this church. They speculate that it was, it was actually pioneered in that city by uh, a, a, someone who had come to faith under Paul's ministry and then went back to their home city and started a church about the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And the city of Colossae is not even mentioned in the book of Acts. Historically, it was a prosperous city because it was built around uh, the dyeing of garments. It, it had this ability to make beautiful clothes. And so it was very, very popular city. And yet by Paul's time, the time of its writing, it was a city that had begun to decline. And decline economically, decline socially, decline morally in every way. And the culture of the day was just absolutely given over to pleasure in every way. And there was slavery. The rich and the powerful were oppressing the poor. Women and children were viewed as property. In fact, the sexualization of children was normalized in that time. In every way, it was out of control. Prostitution, adultery, oppressive dictatorship, a cult of worshiping the ruler. That was often, you can worship whoever, but you need to worship Caesar as the primary one. And the first century religious environment was also much like ours. It was an environment that religious mixing, you took a little of this faith, a little of that religion, a little of that, and you kind of mixed it up and made your own faith, as you will. Not making faith your own, but you made your own faith. And, the, and as Paul wrote that, even though he had not personally visited, he, uh, some felt that he was writing to, uh, to correct to realign, to redirect a church that was an incredibly diverse church. It was unheard of in those days for the people who were slaves to mix with people who were free. Yet that was happening in the church. It was unheard of those days for women and children to be given value and equality as pers in their personhood, yet it was happening in the church. Different ethnic backgrounds seated side by side, worshiping Jesus together. Different cultural backgrounds seated side by side, worshiping together. Different socioeconomic backgrounds seated side by side, worshiping together. And Paul uh, alludes to that a little later in the book, but he says, what an incredible thing that in Jesus, it's neither slave nor free. It's neither Jew or Gentile. It's not rich or poor. It's all about a culture and a people uniting around the person of Jesus. And this book is about that. In this chapter 2, we get, if you go to chapter 2 and verse 2 of Colossians, it's near the two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. 
take a, find out where Romans is and keep turning right. And he says this, I want to tell you in verse two, my goal and my goal in writing this is that they may be encouraged in heart and they may be united in love so that they may have the full understanding. Sorry, they may have so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, he's talking about them. I want them to be encouraged, but also united in love. Paul recognized that the tendency of people who are very different is to divide. But in Jesus, people who are very different can walk together if they keep Jesus at the front of the line. Because he said, I don't want you to be deceived by these kind of neat arguments about how things, I don't want you to be pulled aside by what meme that someone put on Facebook. I don't want you to be distracted by a video that you watched about somebody. I want you to know I'm concerned about your unity. I'm concerned about your theology. He was concerned that those two things, if they were off base, could lead to drifting and even into deception and delusion. In other words, people that were walking with God, that loved Jesus, Jesus, that we're gathering around the purpose of Jesus. Paul was saying, hello, I want you to pay attention right now. I want you to be united in love. I want you to know the reality that your life is found in Jesus. And he continues to drive that down in verse six of chapter two. And he says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, that's where some of us stop. Jesus is my Lord. I've got my ticket to heaven. After that, it's all good. I'll do what I want. I know that Jesus loves me and Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And that's just the beginning of the journey. And he goes on to say, you must also continue to follow him. Not a, not a book, not a perspective, but a person. Let your roots grow down into him. Not a theology, but Jesus. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Paul is showing them it's about the risen and alive Jesus. I know you think a lot of things are really important right now. I know you think that your your culture is the number one thing. I know that you think your, your race might be the number one thing. I know that you think you need to get woke on this issue or that issue is the primary. And Paul is saying, hey, 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 hey. It's about the risen Jesus. If you're going to be a, a united people... It's about the Jesus of the Bible. It's not your interpretation of who he is. It's about Jesus. Go down, roots go down. And I love how he says it's roots. That, then what do roots do? They grow. What is a building? Is it just a foundation? No, it's meant to be built out. And in all of these analogies, he's just helping us to understand. It starts in, it, founds, it finds our foundation in the reality of Jesus. Not in our opinions, not in our political perspectives, not on our what we think things are should be, or, or what somebody else should be, not on a vaccine, not on a mask, not on whatever might be dividing us right now, get our focus back on the reality of the risen Jesus. And in this church, he said, there is a heresy that was threatening to infiltrate the church. Because if you follow Jesus, we're meant to be Jesus people. We're meant to be Jesus people. 
And some of you that are older, some of you are younger, like, oh, I don't know what that means. Some of you that are older were grew up in that time of the Jesus people in the late 60s into the early 70s. They were a generation that was absolutely had walked away from God. The sexual revolution of anything goes had had begun. They threw off all authority. They were rejecting the church. They were walking away from anything that was so-called the cultural norm. And they were... uh, The civil rights agenda was being pushed by them of giving people of color, particularly in America, black people equality and pushing forward in so many areas and in it all free love and drugs and, and, and all the stuff was going on. It was just a time of a radical change for the negative in some ways, but for the positive in a few other things. But these people had come, these young men and women, 18, 19, 20, 22 years old, and they were just saying, there's got to be more than what I've experienced. And they were turning to all these different things. But there was a time and a moment where they began to turn to Jesus. And I don't have time to get into all of that. But these people who had once been looking in all kinds of spaces and places said, there's got to be more. And there were people who came to Jesus and suddenly all that energy that was into all kinds of negative things was turned into and they became known as Jesus people. And there were some churches that said, we want nothing to do with them. Be, stay, stay away from those crazy people. They're going to ruin your church. They were radicals. And so you got to watch out. But what happened was that many of them were radically changed by the person of Jesus. And Jesus came into their life. And suddenly ones that were walking in addiction were getting set free. Suddenly ones who were just enveloped in a sexual dysfunction and sin were suddenly transferred into a new uh, sexual ethos and we began to be changed by the reality of God and were drugs and alcohol and sexual free love and all of that that was happening and destroying. They said there's more and they come to Jesus and millions of them surrender their life to the reality of Jesus and now they were radical for God. They went around with t-shirts that said one way Jesus. Can you imagine that again today? then this is what gives me hope that when there's a church that will say we are about the person of Jesus, we're not about all these peripheral issues, we're going to preach Jesus, we're going to preach the life of Jesus, we're going to preach the theology of Jesus, we're going to preach the way of Jesus, we're going to preach the good news that all things can be made new in Jesus, that there's hope for your life, that there's a way forward for you no matter what's been said about you, no matter what's been said against you, that there's hope in the person of Jesus. Because there were some churches in our church, I'm I'm told, was one of the few that said, you are welcome. And and the young people came in with their long hair and they still weren't figuring it out. Some of them still using drugs, bare feet and would sit on the floor and churches, some churches said no. And this church said back then, yes, you're open. Jesus is the way. If you love Jesus, the door is wide open. We'll let Jesus clean you up. We'll let Jesus fix you up. And the church began to move forward. In fact, Pacific Bible College, which became Pacific Life Bible College, was started because there were men and women who all they knew was Jesus and they needed to be discipled in the way of Jesus. And Paul said, Jesus, people, that was way more than I was going to say about that. But here we go. 
And in this church, there was a heresy threatening to infiltrate the church of, Cor- or of, of Colossae. It was about this, it was called the Gnosticism. It was called Gnosticism. And I'm not going to get into it, could spend hours on it. But they believed that Jesus, did, when he came to earth, he didn't actually possess a body like our own. He was kind of like a, kind of like a ghost with form. And he didn't have a physical body. And he also didn't actually raise from the dead. And Paul says, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then our faith is worthless and hopeless. So, and so this led to a philosophy that the body is evil and that only the spirit is good. So in practice, what that meant is that some of them became ascetic, which was simply means they beat their bodies. Literally, some of them would beat their bodies to try because the body was evil and try to beat it into submission. And they were never allowed themselves to enjoy anything, whether that was food, whether that was sex, even in marriage, whether that was uh, fun, whatever. They were just the miserable people, legalistic, moralist not morons, moralists. And then there were others who went to the opposite extreme and they permitted the physical passions to run wild. Whatever they wanted, they just did because they had the, this uh, same belief that the body was evil, so it doesn't matter. Just live however you want because at the end, the body's gonna be destroyed and my spirit, which is good, will remain unharmed. And so they had these two philosophies that were beginning to infiltrate the church and some were taking, no, we need to be like this. We need to be ascetic. And some were over here. It doesn't matter. Just do whatever you want. And these two tensions were pulling at the unity of the church. So Paul first began by addressing the unity and then he drew the line to bad theology. And often we have bad theology that's coming out in bad behavior. And so these two philosophies were warring against each other. And what might that look like today? Legalistic rule keepers on one hand and those that were creating their own spiritual spirituality. I was thinking about this this morning and even how we say things belies a problem where we might say, I'm a conservative Christian. It's backwards. You need to be a Christian conservative because a follower of Jesus defines everything that we do. I am not, my conservatism does not define my faith. And I'm also not a Canadian Christian. I am a Christian Canadian because my, where I hold my passport in does not determine my faith. My faith determines how I live in Canada. And I'm not a white Christian. I'm a Christian who is white because my Christianity defines and my, my culture and my culture needs to bow to Jesus. Whatever I'm at, what's leading the way? And so these tensions were pulling him and Paul draws attention to the fact and he says, this can create division. The diversity that there, when it's, when Jesus is at the front and he's leading the pack, then it can be a beautiful thing. But if those other things start to lead the way, then the church can get into division and destruction eventually. Because he starts to then correct their theology and he reminds them, hey, as Jesus people, he gave his life for you and he gave his life to you. Not only did he pay the price for your sin, he's also empowering you to live. So you don't have to live out of where you came from. You don't have to live under the cultural worldview that you were under. You come under and the power of Jesus, the alive risen Jesus begins to live inside of you and changes the way you think. It changes the way you speak. It changes your view about yourself. It changes your view about your neighbor. It changes your view about your politicians. It changes your view about everything because Jesus empowers you to live differently. 
In this incredible cultural moment, there he was reminding, and he's reminding us again that our life must be centered in the reality and of Jesus, the risen Jesus. In chapter 3, where we're going to begin, and I'm almost done. I know it's hard to believe, but I am. I I don't even believe in myself. So um, (laughs) here we are. And he turns to chapter 3, and he says this, since your life is hidden with Christ, since Christ made a way, Here's what I want you to do. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Since Jesus is real, set your hearts on things above. Not on what's happening in the world around you. Don't set your hearts on it. You might be aware of it. You might even need to know it. But set your hearts on things above. And then he goes on. Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because Jesus is overall, and he's through all, and he's in you. And so when you begin to set your mind and your heart on things above, it changes your perspective on everything. Suddenly, God is not the God out there. He's the God in here, and things begin to change. And Jesus gave his life for you, and he gave his life to you, so you can experience transformation. The dry bones of hopeless dreams can come alive. Marriages can still be restored. Hopeless addiction can be broken. Whatever our situation is, our city can be changed. Our nation can be turned. Revival can still happen because God is still alive. He's still moving. He's still on the throne. And I set my mind on what he, where he is, that he's ruling over it all. I set my heart on it so my emotions don't have to be pulled this way and that way. My thinking doesn't have to rule me. I can begin to be ruled from and by Jesus. And Paul goes on and he says, this, what, that reality enables you to live differently. And then in verse 5 of chapter 3, he says, put to death, therefore. And he lists these few things, these things of your earthly nature. Because only Jesus can bring lasting change. Only Jesus can change your culture. Only Jesus can change us from being shaped by what's going on around us. And Paul lists these five sins, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And he says, those should not control your life anymore. Because the reality of Jesus inside of you, you can live a different life. You can be different. Believers might be tempted to submit to self-denial and just put all kinds of boxes around so we don't go into those things. And we miss out on the way forward is setting my mind on things above, setting my heart on things above, putting Jesus at the center, begin to pursue Jesus. And suddenly I can get rid of those things and I can begin to step into the reality of all that God's created me to be. And so he says, get rid of them. All the philosophies, all the beating yourself up, all the efforts, all the self-help. Suddenly you don't have to be so defensive about things because you realize it's not all about you and you making things happen because only Jesus can bring lasting change. And you're thinking, what? Where's this leading, Craig? We're going to get there. And Paul begins to point out a different sexual ethic for the world. A sexual ethic, he says, this doesn't have to be the way you live. You can live with peace. You can live with wholeness. You can step out of pornography. You can step out of addiction. You can step out of whatever the thing that is controlling our life because we see the results when we live out of just trying to make it happen or we live with anything goes. Sexual sin and dysfunction lead to things like sexual harassment and abuse and abortions, increasing promiscuity, confused gender identity, pornographic objectification of people. But the aim of Jesus is to restore humanity to a new way of living, that God's good purpose can bring us out of sexual chaos into sexual wholeness in every area of our life. Only Jesus can bring 
lasting change. And then he reminds us, it's not just about the sexual ethic, because some of you are like, I'm not, no issue with me there. Well, let's go here. The next piece in, in verse I think it's in verse, yes, verse eight. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, whoa. Now we're just getting up in our grill. Malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. And Paul gets up and begins to address real issues because some of us might be in anything goes where, where you think, I don't know, everything's out of, out of order or there's problems in this area of sexuality. Others of us might have areas right here with how we speak about our neighbor, how we speak about our politician, how we speak about those in authority, how we speak. And Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, to that, it's time to end the anger, the rage, the malice, the slander, the filthy language, and don't lie about each other. Because when we do, it begins to repair relationships. When we just say, I'm not going to have anything to do that, then suddenly Jesus begins to take first place, and relationships begin to come together, and we begin to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul highlights what needs to go, and then we're, now we're in the run, the plane is surrounding the runway. We're coming in. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I just want to stop there for a moment. Notice Paul says this to people that are messing it up, people that don't have it all together. God's chosen you. God still loves you. You're not trying to get God to love you by being good and doing all the right things. He absolutely is for us in the middle of our mess. He's right there with us, pulling us forward. We're putting him in and he's just saying, I'm going to walk with you. I, you're, you're already holy because of the work I've done. And now I'm on the inside and I'm going to help you to walk that into reality in your day-to-day life. You're dearly loved. And then he says this, goes on to say, now because of that, because of the great work of Jesus inside of you, Clothe yourself, put it on like a garment with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. What a contrast. What do you think the world needs more of? I think it's kind of self-evident, right? What do you need more of? Imagine if this was how we lived. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because... A significant measure of our Christian life is found in simply how we treat people and the quality of our relationships with them. Because it was Jesus who said, they will know you are my disciples by the way that, they, by the way that you love one another. Not by all the things you do, the things you build, the arguments you win, but how you love one another. The essential point of this sec- section is in light of the culture, Paul is reminding how we use our everyday language, our attitudes towards sexuality are the most compelling evidence of the truth of the gospel. Incarnation is critical to proclamation. All that means is how we live is just as important as what we say. In fact, what gives power to what we say is when we live authentically what we say. Incarnation, living it out. What we do must line up with what we say. Because I know this, many, 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 many people who once walked with God or maybe have refused to walk with God and reject the compelling claims of the gospel do so because of their experience with Christians or people who say they are Christians has not been very convincing. Many Christians have been deeply wounded by the actions of other Christ followers. Some have even left the faith because of the moral failure of Christian leaders. Christians slandering other Christians. 
does not constitute solid evidence of the reality of Jesus. Christians that are angry with each other and won't forgive. Christians who claim to love the Lord and then lie and cheat to get ahead or live extravagantly without being generous do not provide strong evidence to the world that God's grace makes much of a difference. But as we are changed by Jesus, we, be, we will begin to turn the world to Jesus. The world needs to see the character and attributes lived out probably more than ever. You say, well, that's not going to change everything. Well, first of all, if you're compassionate, kind, you humble, all those things, it will change your world. You're like, I don't know if it'll change the world, but I know it will change your world. If you start right there, if you begin to live and speak that way, it'll begin to change your world. And the reality is it's not just going to suddenly transform people. But when you live counterculturally, loving your enemy, that's Jesus. Praying for those who despitefully use you, that's Jesus. Doing good to those that persecute you, that's impossible except for Jesus. Forgiving those that hurt you, that's impossible except for Jesus. And so when we begin to live in this way, when we begin to live countercultural in the middle of a world gone crazy, you stand out for all the right reasons. Whoa! How is that person being so kind? They were, the person that spoke to them was so rude. I can't believe it. But they responded with kindness. Whoa. They were hurt really badly, but they forgave. You don't hear them Cursing that person either. Like, what, what is going on? And you begin to shine out and speak out and live out the reality of the risen Christ. Sometimes what comes, what people see doesn't line up with, what, with who we are. And with the help of Jesus, being Jesus people, because we are the Jesus people, that we would look like more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. That's been a challenge to me in this last times. Someone said this, D.L. Moody, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. What will people get if they read me or you? Jesus was the one that said by by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He says all these crazy things that are impossible except for him. And when we begin to live as followers of Jesus, as Jesus people, doing what was impossible naturally, we point to Jesus. No, we don't point to our political view. We don't point to our perspective. You can have all those, but just make sure Jesus is at the front of the line. That the first thing that people come up when they connect with you is Jesus. The bottom line is we are changed by Jesus. We will begin to turn the world to Jesus. There's a reason that Paul begins by recentering us on Jesus. When we see a list of commands that we are to obey and we don't take God into account, we are setting ourselves up for failure. If you don't take God into account, what I've just said is impossible. We need Jesus. He gave his life for you and he gives his life to you to enable you to live. There are six words that cannot be ignored that govern every other command in the Bible. They are the words of Jesus. Without me, you can do nothing. Not moralism, not anything goes, not by your own strength, not your cultural background. Without me, Jesus, you can do nothing. But with me, 
you can do all things that I've called you to do. The amazing thing about the gospel is that Jesus gave his life for you, but also to you. We are the Jesus people. We are the Jesus people. And this is our moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, to live and speak and communicate differently, to treat people differently than the world around us, to give space, to not try to win arguments and kill, not kill people literally, but you understand what I'm saying, to run over people, but to love people like Jesus, loving our enemy, doing good to those that hate you, praying for those that despitefully use you, praying for the provincial health officer, forgiving those in leadership, forgiving your friend, asking Jesus to help you to forgive the person that's hurt you. But what perspectives, what philosophies are before Jesus? Jesus, would you open my eyes? Because Paul says, I want you to be careful that you don't get deceived. So I don't want to be deceived. Open our eyes so I can see clearly. And ask Jesus to empower me to live differently. Because I want to be known as, and I want our church to be known as, that's a place where Jesus is preached where Jesus sets people free, where Jesus heals marriages, where Jesus causes them to go out and feed the poor, where Jesus causes them to help the widow, where Jesus causes them to be the ones that uh, adopt children, that take foster kids, where Jesus, where, where, where Jesus causes them to, to help the unborn, where Jesus causes them to be a, be a voice for the refugee, where Jesus causes them to love one another such that it makes such a difference they would have to really look to find my political perspective because they keep running in to Jesus. Jesus, I pray for our church. I thank you for the beautiful diversity, the tapestry of uniqueness that's in us. Every different culture, people group, color, perspective, different politics, all that. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, as Paul prayed, that we would be encouraged in heart and united in heart and never forget that Jesus is at the center of everything, our only hope of life change, that we would shine like stars in the middle of a world gone crazy, living differently because we are Jesus' people. In your name we pray, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.